Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. Hey, super friends. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the golden age of Batman on film. So 2019 marks two huge anniversaries for The Dark Knight. Firstly, it's 80 years since his first appearance, which was in Detective Comics number 27, which was published when, co-host? I'm going to say 1938. No. <laughs> that wouldn't be 80 years, would it? It was published in May 1939. <laughs> then on March the 27th of this year, so in a couple of weeks' time, unless you're listening to this in, like, 2020, in which case it was, like, a year ago, we get the release of the landmark 1000th issue of the Detective Comics series. So for the next few um, podcasts, aside from the whole Doom Patrol thing, because pretend that's an alternate universe, we're going to be doing a series of Batman specials which are going to focus on the Dark Knight's appearances in various different mediums. So films, comics, TV, computer games, a whole lot. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the golden age of Batman on film. So that is anything pre-Affleck. Although I'm told that we are apparently skipping the Adam West movie. Would you care to elaborate on that one? Well, there's a lot of stuff to cover in a very short period of time. And I don't think they want to hear us drivel on for days. About a bomb and nuns. And shark repellent spray. There you go, we've covered it. Done. So we're going to go right up to the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy in the 2000s. And then we're going to do another episode which will cover... The more recent ones, so Batman vs Superman, Justice League, and the upcoming The Batman by Matt Reeves. Uh, if you've not listened to us before, my name is Neil. My name is Martin. And first up today, we're going to be talking about Batman 1989. So let's have a quick listen to the trailer. Hi. Bruce Wayne. And what do you do for a living? I'd like you to handle this operation personally. Me? Nice outfit. Hold on a second. I can't make it then either. I've got a very important meeting today. Don't kill me! Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! What are you? Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Alfred, let's go shopping. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. I feel a little drunk. <laughs> and you're not anything. Hey, one drink and I'm flying. <laughs> Freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> so, Batman 1989 was first released on the 11th of August 1989, obviously. Fair it enough. was directed by Tim Burton and it stars Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Jack Nicholson as the Joker slash Jack Napier, Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale, you've got Robert Wool as Alexander Knox. Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon, Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent, and God rest his soul, Michael Goff as Alfred. The little IMDb synopsis for this one reads, The Dark Knight of Gotham City begins his war on crime, with his first major enemy being the clownishly homicidal Joker. 
Martin? First thoughts on Batman 1989. What are your memories of this one? My earliest memories of this one is... Not being born. Oh, no, you were born when I it was I was born in 1989, yeah. Thank you very much. You so were I... like four months, whereas I was four. Well, when I remember watching it, I remember watching it so much that the VHS, yes, VHS has a videotape for the, the younger audience out there, um, broke. Really? I still have my original VHS of this. Well, it eventually broke. The first time it broke air quotes was when my mum was sick and tired of me watching it, so apparently it broke, but actually it was hidden on top of the wardrobe. Mm. But I filmed it viewers, don't worry. So this film was a 15 when it came out, so I obviously couldn't see it at the cinema either because I was only four, so I saw it on VHS. I loved the VHS because it had the little yellow loopy bits. Did it? Mine didn't have yellow loopy bits. It had yellow loopy bits. And I loved the little... FBI warning to start with don't copyright and it was a joke in his chair my memory of this actually before seeing the film I had quite a few of the toys for this so I had the Michael Keaton with the with the belt that had string attached to it so you could use the belt as like a grappling hook and I had the Batmobile for this one but it always bothered me that the Batmobile had the right like chassis for the car but didn't have the hood no, I it was the open top equivalent version it was the sports model I never had the Batmobile, but my cousin did. Well, I had the Batplane too. With the, I had a Batplane with scissors. I so the whole plane had a trigger underneath it, and that was that was the scissors for it. I had the Batplane. I'd always wanted the Batmobile, though. With the shields, you would like yes. the little plastic, you'd pop on top. Where does he get those wonderful toys? So what were your favourite moments in this film? My favourite moments in this film. Where do you want to start? The beginning, the end, and everything that happened in between. That's quite very comprehensive. The bits that I always remember as being the most exciting are... I love the scene on the rooftop at the start, um, where... are you? (laughs) Just to warn warn you, uh, listeners, we may well quote all the way through, or even possibly sing along with the music. Uh, No, so when the two two guys are on the roof, um, they've already done the whole bit in the... In the alleyway where they've knocked out the pirates, where you've thought, oh, is this the Waynes? And we're watching the origin, and actually it's not, which is very clever. Uh, to the bit where he's on the roof, and they're having their little conversation, and he's like, Johnny Garb's got ripped and took a walk off a roof, man. And then in the background, you just see the big bat shape come floating down, and you get the first little swell of Danny Elfman's score. I find that very exciting. And then obviously they're still talking, and they look up, and he wafts the cape, and you get the little bat flourish of music, and he just starts doing the whole, I'm Batman. Thing for the first time. I always loved that bit. It's a good choice, good choice. I always liked the, the transition from it being a cartoon bat on the roof. To yeah. being <laughs> I thought you'd never noticed that till oh, the other day when bit. I was watching this. Oh. I noticed, I remember noticing that from right as I was a kid that that was a weird little animation in there because obviously it was a miniature rather than a real set because CGI didn't exist back then and clearly that Belfry didn't exist. Oh, I thought they'd be really clever and be like, this is a transition from comic to big screen no not just because that was a miniature okay (laughs) that's interesting that's a hot take ever i heard one well i'm just trying to sass it up a bit more make it a bit more highbrow (laughs) i always love the flugenheim as well the flugenheim museum is genius the only thing is i've now watched this film so many times that i know that the city street sets are quite small so that i think i'm pretty sure it's filmed at pinewood uh as in london pinewood not when there was a pinewood america and there are actually quite a few scenes where you notice the outside, like the exterior of the museum is in the background. I'm trying to remember now off the top of my head where else you see it. 
but there's a few scenes when he's out in the streets of Gotham where you realise that actually it's really only a couple of streets that they're just filming from different angles and you see the the huge uh, like air conditioning fans that are on the side of the building and it's just because it's really obvious and it's quite unique you see it quite often and you realise that actually the set's quite small but when he breaks in through the roof well actually after the whole party man thing which is just genius the bit where he drops in through the roof and fires the grappling gun after Joker's done the whole water in the face and the boom if there's ever going to be an outtake reel there's probably going to be 10 minutes of me doing the Joker being melty faced <laughs> yeah that's true I'm trying to think are there any moments in this film that you don't particularly like um, the bit where he's reading the newspaper always used to scare me when I was little. Mm. Yeah, that bit. Mm. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that bit was very scary as well. Hello, sugar plums. Sugar bubs. Sugar bubs. Yeah. <laughs> I always sh- thought it was sugar plums. No, it's sugar bubs. Oh, who knew? <laughs> yes. I never really liked the bit... Well, I say I never really liked it. Not, I, no, it's not that I didn't like it. I was always really scared by the gas. I now have a phobia of gas masks and green gas because of that. Mm. And baby balloons. <laughs> that never bothered me. Well, they were, they were spewing out the gas. True, I was just never bothered by that. I can, I can still attend a parade. <laughs> just a bit Ooh. on edge. Okay, so actually, uh, those of you who are listening to this, just let me know if you agree with this weird uh, mistake that I've always had with this film. It took me years to realise that the Joker was riding on a giant cake. I always thought he was riding on a giant set of dentures. No. Yeah. Why would you be on dentures that said a hundred? For I don't know. Well, the old people would wear dentures. Somebody who's a hundred probably doesn't have their own teeth. <laughs> when I was a kid, I always thought the pink was like the gums and the white icing around the edge was teeth. I thought it was a really weird set of dentures. Yeah, a three-tier dentures. <laughs> well, there's no logic. I was four when this film came out. But I was negative four and I still got it. <laughs> I just, I always thought that that's what it was. Even though I, I had like... um. Do you remember the old making-of books that they used... Well, obviously, you still get the amazing books from, like, Insight Editions and stuff now that look at the production art, but do you remember the versions you had back then? I've got... I still have all of them in hardback and paperback for all four of the original movies. And I'm sure there's, a there's like, production designs for the parade in there. And I've probably looked at it and seen that it's a cake and presumed it was teeth. Plus, the Joker throws wind-up teeth. Well, it's because he's the clown. I think I thought it was a giant version of his wind-up teeth. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> I think talking about this film, you need to pick up on one very important point from 1989, which was the casting of Michael Keaton as Batman. Obviously, you and I were too young to understand the controversy that happened at the time. Well, certainly I was. (laughs) Thanks. But at the time, he was really only best known for playing Beetlejuice. So people saw the guy that was Beetlejuice, who's this creepy, gothic, slightly, well, iconic character... And then thought, how can somebody who does that wacky, ridiculous comedy then put on a rubber suit and become this vigilante hero? So they were... Well, if Twitter existed, it would be worse than Brie Larson. Put it that way. Wow. That's... (laughs) That's saying something. But the studio got tons of letters from people saying, I'm not going to watch this film. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be absolutely awful. This guy cannot be Batman. This guy is not Batman. He will never be Batman. And then people loved him. He's a very iconic Batman now, and he's held in high regard, certainly by me anyway. Not yeah, sure no, no, he is by me as well. I'd probably say that he was one of my favourites, just because he was the first one on the big screen for me. But it's funny, because then the trailer, which you obviously just watched before we started recording this, um, which is very weird compared to a modern-day trailer, because it's barely got any music or anything in it. I can't remember what film it was that it played with. 
if you can remember out there, Super Friends, drop me a tweet at Neil Vag and let me know. What the film that it played with uh, had massive box office takings, but also had mass amounts of people walking out because people went because they knew the Batman trailer was going to show. So people were going to the cinema specifically to watch that trailer and then walking out because they had no interest in the film. It was huge. Uh, obviously, it exists in a world before YouTube, so no one, you know, it's not like it, we know that it had 50 billion hits. Uh, but people yeah. were writing to the studio asking for tapes of the trailer. It was massive. The trailer was almost as big as the film itself. Well, there was no Apple trailers in those days. <laughs> no, not at all. No YouTube, no Apple trailers, uh, and no Gator Comic Con. How did people survive? Without trailers and my trailer galleries. Dark, dark days. They were indeed. Other people casting in this film. So, what do you think of... I was about to say Jack Napier. Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier slash the Joker. Given the pantheon of Jokers, Mark Hamill, Jared Leto, Heath Ledger. I think he has to be up there. I mean, he set the bar, didn't he? I mean, he is... Well, you could argue that Cesar Romero set the bar, but you didn't yeah, allow me true. to talk about Batman 66 movies. Well, we so. did. We mentioned nuns and shark repellent spray. I think as sinister gritty Joker's goal he has to be one of the best ones I think yeah just because he does the whole creepy I mean that laugh is, is he does is, a perfect laugh he does the best best laugh ever I could never okay actually you just made me think of something two things I never understood with this movie firstly when he visits Vicky Vale the, at her apartment when he leaves and does the whole ah <laughs> thing when he ran away that confused me because I felt like the sound didn't match with the mouth and then the when I, again, when I was only like four or five watching this film, I couldn't understand the laughing box in his pocket. Or his teeth. No, you know when he when he hits the deck at the end and he's dead? Yeah. But you still hear the ha 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 
Anybody else from the cast you want to point out? Lando Calrissian is Two-Face. Not quite Two-Face, obviously. Good old Commissioner Gordon. Do love me a bit, Commissioner Gordon. Pat Hingle. Yeah. I would have taken the lies. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many, uh, so many <laughs> impressions. Who's in Michael- charge here? <laughs> Michael Goff as Alfred is great. Oh, I'll do a bit of Alfred, yeah. In the sequence where they're having the party at Wayne Manor and Bruce puts the pen in the like in the plant and he's running around after him with his little tray and he puts the uh, champagne flute down that nearly falls off and he picks it up and then you kind of get that whole idea that he's following around after him, looking after him and then you get that lovely scene where he talks about um, after, after they've done the whole could you pass the salt what? scene <laughs> when they then go and have dinner with Alfred <coughs> and he says and there was Bruce what does he say? Clutching a bloody knee. Yeah, something about bruised or bloodied knee in the mud. Clearly talking about horse riding and you get that whole fatherly relationship. I think I think they did that really well. So, what are your standout scenes for this movie? I realise I haven't asked you. Because you're very rude. So my standout scenes in this film, um, essentially all of it, but the ones that I love the most would be the Flugenheim melty face. Yep. And... And the parade. When he shoots the plane down with his big gun. How did he walk with that down his trouser leg? Uh, I would suggest that you ask the same question to Gal Gadot as to how she walked around and danced at that party with a giant sword between her arse cheeks. Well, I think the moral of that story is never miss leg day and don't forget to squat. (laughs) Oh dear. And moving swiftly on, I think. You can't talk about this film without mentioning uh, the music. From two different specs. So, first of all, Prince soundtrack. First album I can ever remember buying on tape for myself. Love that album. Absolutely love all of those songs. Uh, you can't... Oh, like, What is a party without bat dance? <laughs> Not when I've ever been to. Okay, fair enough. And then, obviously, Danny Elfman. Absolutely one of the best, if not the best, theme tunes ever invented, first heard in this film. Well, and it's such an iconic tune. It's the tune that defines the character, really, isn't it? He's never had a theme in any other version that's quite lived up to it, either. Similar to John Williams and Superman, in that respect. And although it is a very controversial opinion to have, I respect Danny Elfman for bringing back that version of the theme tune, actually for both Superman and Batman, in Justice League. But then I love his explanation. Batman has a Batman theme, that is the theme. And why Why necessarily would that theme change? Because the character hasn't changed, it's just the actor that's changed. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I suppose it's the whole idea of do you want to... Like, tying the theme tune to that universe. So, you know, if we're saying that Ben Affleck's Batman is not the same Batman as Michael Keaton's Batman, then should they really have the same theme tune? It's a bit like the Spider-Mans. So, obviously, the three different Spider-Men we've seen on film in the last... 10-15 years have not had a theme tune that ran all the way through them because they don't want you to identify them as the same Spider-Man. But then I suppose I've not really had the same sort of... But then they haven't had theme tunes that impact like that. Yeah. Because that theme theme tune followed through into the animated series. It's kind of gone everywhere with them. Yeah, that's true, it has. Final thoughts on Batman 89? Amazing. (laughs) Well, I'm not giving this rating scores. We're not not here to rate. We're just here to talk about how much we love these movies. And anything anecdotal. Anything you think I have missed? No, I think you've probably guessed that we probably quote these films on a daily basis. So, 
Bob Kane. Can't remember if Bob, Bob Kane isn't in the film. His wife is obviously in the film, so she has the cameo uh, in this one as. Ooh, who is she in this one? Is she in this one? I don't think she is in this I one. I don't think she is in this one, actually. She's in Returns. She's in Returns forever and, and Robin. No, she's not in this one. No. But we do get the Bob Kane sketch, though. That's what, that, so that was my initial point that I was trying to get to before his wife just then threw me. Uh, she's a very strong lady. <laughs> yeah, the Bob Kane sketch. I love the Bob Kane sketch. Welcome, welcome, Count Dracula! And it gives him the, uh, the sketch in the, in the newsroom. Right before one of your favourite quotes from the movie, if you'd like to do it. Alexander Knox. Hello, legs. <laughs> and with that, we will move on to 1992's Batman Returns. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. Yeah. <laughs> and the only one who can save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance she can sink her claws into... You're getting into a girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguin! Thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham! Batman Returns was released on the 10th of July 1992, just before my birthday. A whole couple of weeks before my 7th birthday. I had to think how old I was for a minute then. It's almost as if they knew. <laughs> if only. So this film has Michael Keaton returning as Batman Bruce Wayne. You have Danny DeVito as Oswald Cobblepot slash The Penguin. Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman slash Selina Kyle. The amazing Christopher Walken as Max Shrek, Michael Goff back as Alfred, and that man who was in an episode of Buffy as a gypsy man, as one of the random circus folk. Uh, Ginny Calendar. Yes, he quotes Buffy as well. Yep, I even do parties if you want to contact me. I have to say, 
that this is probably quite easily, controversially for some people, my favourite Batman movie. I might go as far to say this is my favourite movie ever. Oh. Okay. Of all the movies. Ever. I would say it's pretty high on my list of all movies ever, to be fair. Again, I didn't get to see this one at the cinema because it was a 15 and I was still only 7 or 8. <laughs> and I was 3. Uh, I think you'll find you... Oh, yeah, you were 3. You were not 4 yet. Wow, so you were still younger than I was when the first one came out. Jesus, I'm old. Yep. I find this film quite interesting. It's funny. I presume, and in my head, because I think this is an amazing film, I think everyone thinks this is an amazing film, which is, which is not necessarily what everyone else thinks. Apparently, in some circles, that's quite an unpopular opinion. Oh, really? Yeah. So, the way the, the way the history tells it, given that it's quite a long time ago, Tim Burton didn't really want to come back and do another Batman film, so they kind of coaxed him back to do it. And his reasoning for it, in the end, was that he would come back if he could focus on things other than Batman, which is why he's not really in this film as much, and it's more about the villains. And a lot of people disagree with the fact that this film focuses on Penguin and Catwoman more than it focuses on Batman himself. But I quite like that. Yeah, it's almost like you're getting sort of three films in one, really, aren't you? You get a lot. There is three distinct storylines that then all converge at the end. Four, if yeah. you count it's, it's an incredibly complex story. Incredibly complex story that's in this film, from that respect. Maybe it doesn't seem as complex when you watch it. But when you think about it, there was a lot going on. So what are your standout moments from this one? Oh, easy. The score. Of, of course, yeah. So the thing with this one, Super Friends, is you never, ever, ever want to watch this movie with me. You get those people that are able to like, tell, like speak every line from a film as you go along. That's me, sorry. And then you get people who have listened to the score so many times that they can sing along to the music all the way through from start to finish. Absolutely, without doubt, the utter... Best score ever for any film ever in the history of all films ever created, ever. I absolutely adore every second of music in this film. Other than that, I like the start and the end and everything in between. Again, very comprehensive. Favourite scenes, uh, Catwoman, well, Selina Kyle smashing up the apartment. Love that because that's my favourite piece of score from the film and my favourite piece of score ever in the history of music. Um... Other top scenes for me, love the party scene where they do the whole, like, she gets crazy face and they do the whole, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. But a kiss can be even deadlier. When they flip it around, so from the scene where they were in costume earlier to not being in costume, love that. Uh, what else are my favourite moments? Love the really classic, uh, like, 80s sci-fi style charred corpse of Max Shrek. Yep, with eyeballs intact. That's not physiologically possible. Can you tell me why he's called Max Shrek? No, go and tell us. So, Max Shrek is the name of the actor who played Nosferatu in my other favourite movie, Nosferatu. And that's who he was named after. He was modelled after mm. and named after him because Nosferatu is a big influence on Tim Burton, obviously being a gothic classic. Wow. Learn something every day. That's why he's a Dracula-type figure when you think about him in the kind of stature of the character maybe not the crazy hair it's close though what are your favourite moments? Um, so again becoming Catwoman I do often do that crazy look when she's at the sewing machine oh yeah, yeah. it's my favourite thing to one do one day I will find a t-shirt that says hell here on it 
I've seen somebody wear a t-shirt that said that though. The lead singer of the Blackout used to wear that t-shirt when they were on tour many years ago. I've seen him wear that. And um, what else? The penguins. Anything with a penguin. I love a penguin, especially one that can. I still be struggle recognized. in some scenes to know which are the animatronic penguins and which are the real ones. They're very well done. Again, this is a film where I've watched the behind-the-scenes stuff so many times that I feel like I know. I feel almost like, almost like I was there. <laughs> I know it so well. I think I wore out my copy of the behind the scenes book and I got a replacement because I'd spent so long like tracing over bits of it and drawing bits of it and drawing on it and annotating it on my favourite bits. Bless you. Makes sense as to why I went to film school really, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, what else do I like in this film? All of it, really, I suppose. Amazing set design in this film as well because they redid a lot of the sets from Batman 89 so it doesn't quite look the same. Again, the town square is actually probably a lot smaller than you think it looks, and a lot of the scenes in the film that take place outside are in various bits of that square filmed from different angles. Mm. But I love the set design. Yeah, and I love the little nods to Nightmare Before Christmas, being in the graveyard with Cobblepot. The little hint of music when the guy in the devil costume is trying to um, blow up the toy store, and then Batman drops the Batmobile and turns it around and sets him on fire. You get that little bit of making Christmas that's in there. Yes. I was going to say something else about the set design then. I really, really like some of the long street shots where at the end it's a huge matte painting. I love that. They do that a lot in Star Trek as well, where you have a little bit that's physical set and everything else around it is a matte painting. Even though it's obvious as to what it is, you can just see the amount of detail and the craft that goes into it, I think is a lot... Probably, I was going to say a lot less time-consuming. It's probably not a lot less time-consuming. Um... It's obviously a lot different of a process than building a CGI world, and I just I love a matte painting. Imagine a Gotham City street with a Bob Ross at the end of it. Oh, it would be room at a big tree and a wonky cabin. Anything in this film that you're not particularly fond of? Um, I suppose the killing's always very controversial. He does kill quite a lot of people when you think about it. He doesn't kill a huge number of people in this film, does he? Well, he sets a man huge... on fire with a car. Well, we don't know that he's dead. Well, he's not going to be a very healthy lifestyle after that, is he? We do know that he... There's the really, really big guy, the huge fat guy that he puts the bomb on, then kicks him and drops him into the ground, and you see the whole where it explodes. Okay, so there's two. I'll give you two. But again, still slightly controversial, depending on your outlook on things. Never really bothered me, never really noticed it, to be honest with you. That's the thing I find really interesting with the controversy with Affleck, which we'll talk more about when we do uh, modern age Batman films. But there was so much hate about the fact that he had a. Batmobile with machine guns, which Michael Keaton has a Batmobile with machine guns. He had a bat playing with machine guns. And and torpedoes. The the body came in Batman versus Superman of people that he took out. I think the difference is that Ben Affleck's Batman was angry and dark and brutal, whereas Keaton's was still dark, but more dark and brooding than dark and brutal. He didn't... There, there isn't the same level of aggression to Keaton's Batman that there is to Affleck's Batman. When you think about the fight scene in the warehouse in uh, Batman vs Superman, compared to how Batman fights like the the Red Triangle gang in the street, you know when the the little poodle jumps up and grabs the the uh, batarang. When you think about that fight, that's almost like a self defense fight rather than an aggressive fight. Yeah, that's what I think the difference is. But then, to give cuteness to is how much movement do you have in that suit? He had very little movement. Yeah. That is where the, the whole Michael Keaton Batman turn comes from. I don't think there's anything in this film that I don't like particularly. No. Oh, and you get Pee Wee Herman being his Mr. Cobblepot. You do. Um, which we then get to see again in Gotham. Yes, you do. 
there's I've, this is one of those films that I've seen so many times that I notice all the mistakes as well, which I just find even more endearing. So things like when you're watching the scene where so once Catwoman's kissed Max Shrek with the um, electroshocky thing teaser that's the word and everything starts to explode there's a wide shot of the whole of Penguin's lair exploding where you can see the two stunt people run off the set to move out of the way of the explosions love that I don't know what else there is that's just good health and safety well it is good health and safety I also love all the tiny little things that probably mean nothing but I've watched it so many times that I read into them so like when she's trashing her apartment Celina Carl's trashing her apartment and she opens the wardrobe and she's spray painting stuff and one of the coat hangers has two little penguins on it and uh, the whole mystery around the, the, the mannequin legs that aren't mannequin legs, they're ripped tights. You know this whole thing? You know this You know this story. I've told you this story a million times. She drops out of the window, she hits the deck, and the cats all start running over her. Oh, and yeah. for years, before the invention of HD, I wondered why she had really shiny legs, but it's actually rips in her tights. <laughs> so, in our household, in the Vag family household... We all just presumed it was like mannequin legs and they hadn't done very good on the continuity in realising that they were plastic and shiny. No, it's just very bad tights. It goes with the giant teeth parade from Yeah, they're all fits, I suppose. I'll give you that. One last thing before we move on to forever. Uh, What is the one thing that I mention every time we watch this film that I'm always like, I feel like I'm seeing this for the first time. He looks puzzled, listeners. I don't think you've ever said that to me. Every time. Do you? Every time we watch this film. Oh. The Catwoman scene that the UK never had until DVD. Oh, I've got you now. Yeah. <laughs> so, cinema and VHS release of this movie had one deleted scene, which is when she puts the aerosol cans in the microwave in Shrek's department store before it blows up. Because for some reason, it was presumed that all of us kids in England or UK would run off and put our aerosol cans in microwaves. That was not released here until the 2005? I think it was 2005. I was in third year of uni and I was living in halls. So it's either late 2005 or early 2006 special edition releases. Thank God they didn't. They released it late and prevented all those aerosol microwave explosions. All those aerosol related explosions. Exactly. And now we move on to Batman Forever, which was 1997. So I was 10 and I finally got to see Batman at the cinema. I was eight, and I also got to see it. (laughs) Have a little listen to the trailer. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? In an uncertain world, in a chaotic time, justice wears a mask. to make a pretty lethal combination. Ah! Train me, let me be your partner. 
Patricia Taylor. But first, let's meet our contestants. Going down. If the bat wants to play, we'll play. <laughs> Was that over the top? Don't work too late. Kiss the girl. The real game begins. Courage now. Truth always. Batman forever. So this film was released on the 14th of July 1995. So happy birthday to your mum. Oh yeah, happy birthday mum. <laughs> For the day that this came out. Again, 12 days before my birthday that year. IMDb has a bit more of a lengthy synopsis for this one. Which is, Batman must battle former district attorney Harvey Dent, who is now Two-Face, and Edward Nygma, the Riddler, with the help from an amorous psychologist and a young circus acrobat who becomes his sidekick Robin. An amorous psychologist. An amorous psychologist. That is the best way to describe Chase Meridian. She was rather amorous for most of that film. Yeah. Well, it's all about the chase. Hot entrance. Oh, this. She's so quotable. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't. I didn't not like her character because I was ten. So you know, well, nine going on ten. So I didn't really understand complex female characters in films. She was nothing but a damsel in distress love interest. Or being amorous. <laughs> I wouldn't have understood that at the age of nine. Um, <laughs> but that's quite funny. I, Again, probably a slightly controversial opinion, but given the context that I was nine when I saw this and it was my first chance to see Batman at the cinema, I loved this film. The older I got and the more comic books I then read, the more I understood that this is not a great representation of Batman, but I think if you take this as being what it is, it's a it's entertaining. Yeah, it's still one of my faves, I think. I had so many toys from this film. So many toys from this film. Such as? Batmobile, again. Bat plane, again. <laughs> I had plain Batman and Robin action figures. So like Remember how action figures, they used to be, it'd be like, Ice Blast Batman, Catsuit Batman, Cowboy Batman. Doing the laundry, Batman. <laughs> so I had I had the, the Batman and Robin that were in just their normal costumes for this. And I had a bunch of random Batmans. Don't think I had a Two-Face. I definitely had a Riddler. Whilst we're on the topic of toys, I had the Penguin and Catwoman from the last one too. I had the penguin and cowboy last one. For this one, I had a weird. So I remember my uncle bought me. I think it was my uncle anyway. Whatever it was, it my mum was devastated because it was the Batmobile, but you had to fill it up with water, and then it was a pump action. And the more you pumped it up, the more pressure until it exploded water everywhere. Wow! I thought it was amazing, but it was terribly messy. I had a, I had like a. Um, I was going to call it a Polly Pocket, which would be the girls' version. Mighty Max would be the boys' version. Oh, fashion. I love Mighty Max. I had it, so I had like a Riddler version of a Mighty Max. So you opened up the Riddler's face, and it was his layer inside it. Oh, I had, yeah, I remember that. There were other ones, but that was the only one I had. 
Oh, did I have a Batman face one as well? I might no, I had a Batman face one too that had the it was the Batcave. Yeah, the little tiny Batley. Yeah. yeah. I had that one. But that was the thing about being that young when this film came out. We were the perfect audience for this film because both of Joel Schumacher's Batman films were toy commercials and he would tell you that himself. Most of Batman and Robin was influenced by the toy companies. So we were the perfect, we were absolutely the perfect target market for this. It did have a really good tie-in comic though. Somewhere on these bookshelves which are behind me right now as we are recording this is a graphic novel that's all for Batman movies of that era. Uh, retold as comic books and there's quite a good one for Batman Returns I remember having the Batman Returns comic actually Ooh, I was just said first... Batman Returns I've been Batman Forever sorry that, yeah I, I did have the Batman Forever comic because I think it was the first comic I ever had really? yeah the thing you find with the tie-in comics is that they were based because of because of the um, the production window they were they were being made as the film was being made so they would be based off the script so you would find there would be stuff in the comics that weren't in the films which sometimes was creative license, but more often than not was stuff that should have been in the film that then got cut out or got changed as they were producing it. So there was quite a bit in Batman Forever that I can remember that was different. Uh, similar to like Suicide Squad, if you read the novelization of Suicide Squad, that is based on the shooting script and not the film that came out, and it's quite different in some respects. Mm. So again, so what were your picks from Forever? And you can't say the beginning, middle, and the end. No, I wouldn't say beginning, middle, and end for this one. Um, because there were quite a few things that annoy me about this film at the same time. Oh, it's the diamond, isn't it? <laughs> do you want me to start with that one, or do you want me to start with the things I like? Okay, go with the... Let's, no, let's do the things you don't like, then we'll end them a high. Oh, okay. So things I don't like, the diamond that changes size. <laughs> so, Riddler holding a giant diamond, throws out his little magnifying glass, and suddenly the diamond is tiny. I actually think I've had many debates with myself about this one pretty much every time I've watched this film I think that's on purpose it has to be on purpose it's the ultimate riddle it's the ultimate riddle that just that makes me think of like Hanna-Barbera 70s cartoons like Flintstones Jetsons Scooby-Doo weirdness that they were just trying to be really cartoony which obviously most of this film is trying to be other things I don't like in this film um, The Man with the Glasses Oh, see, I was going to leave that for my most hated thing in this oh, okay. film. Sorry. Uh, so before we get to the man... Well, technically <coughs> there's two men with glasses that we could be talking about here. Uh, Is that so not the same man? The, I was just thinking that. They might be the same man. I think it's the same man. I think we've just had a revelation. Are they the same man? It has to be. It might actually be. There so, be... hang on. We have to give context to the poor people that are listening to this, because right now they're just listening to us have a revelation. So the, the lesser of two evils here is the security guard. I do not understand that security guard. <laughs> ah, ah, my hearing aid! <laughs> <laughs> my shoes are melting! I don't know why he was German, sorry. Um, no, so the thing for me is, he's quite clearly not a young man. No, no offence to that actor, but he's quite clearly not a young man. And I just don't understand why Commissioner Gordon walks in and says, It's alright, young man! We'll get you down! Well, he's a younger man compared to Commissioner Gordon. True, I suppose he is, yep. I'm, uh, while we're chatting, by the way, I'm just looking on IMDb to try and see if that is actually the same man. So then, my most, my most annoyance, just thing about this film, uh, that was, oh, so Joe Griffassi is his name, and he is bank guard. No, Jed Curtis, chubby businessman. William Mesnick, bald guy. 
There's a few different people it could be. So my mo the, the thing that we are alluding to here that I cannot stand the most in this film, ruining a great scene, is when Batman drops through the ceiling at Nigma Tech's uh, huge party and as Chase Meridian is looking up having an amorous moment, <gasps> you just see him lean over her shoulder. And you do the impression better than I do. He points up at Batman, who is majestically swooping down from the roof, cape a-wafting, and says... Uh, Batman! Well, actually, it says Batman air, but you know... Oh, I always yeah. get that mixed up. They're both equal annoying. Oh, it just it does my nutting. I cannot stand it. Every time, it just makes me want to tear my eyes off and rip my ears out, which I think should have been tear my ears off and rip my eyes out. Uh, it's just so annoying. And I do love to do it. Mm. <laughs> and then obviously Batman hits the deck, flips over and does that fight, and it's quite obvious that it's not Val Kilmer for that entire fight either. That's a really dodgy stuntman moment. Throwing over to you, what bits of this film are you not so keen on? So there isn't anything that stands out for me that it sort of grates on my nerves. I just find it all a bit hilarious. Oh, it's, it's, it's basically like watching Adam West's Batman. Yeah. That was always my rationale when I was sort of 16, 17. Because by that point, the movie had been around for 10, 12 years. And I'd read a lot more comics by that point. The thing for me was, it was at this point... At this point in history, I was reading animated series Batman comics. Which were great, but were obviously aimed at a slightly younger audience and still had that cartoonishness to them. I hadn't really got to stuff like The Killing Joke and that yet. So, the older I got and the more I read the comic books, I rationalised this as being like a almost like a movie adaption of Adam West's Batman in a way Batman and Robin you can't add that to I think it goes too far oh so the bits so there is a bit in the film that I really don't like do you know what it is um no it's when he's doing his washing alright who does their washing kung fu style I do I, I find it perfectly normal to waft your socks around like that like they're nunchucks that explains a lot um, it just drives me mad and it's like <laughs> karate chopping his joggy bottoms and oh yeah I didn't like it <laughs> okay I'm so just really nitpicking now that was a perfect segue because you being a huge fan of Robin and Dick Grayson what do you think of his characterisation in this film Um, it's not the best Characterization of Robin. I, I like his say. costume though. His costume's pretty cool. So it's very reminiscent of very classic, sort of cheesy, campy, Burt Ward, Burt Ward, Adam West. Uh, so I quite like that. He's a he's a very old Robin though. He is a very old Robin, considering he should be what? Only like seven or eight. <laughs> so I find that kind of hard to believe in yeah. some respects. Yeah. As in, he's, he's kind of playing like this sort of young renegade that needs a foster home but old enough to ride a motorcycle and fight crime he was born in 1970 Chris O'Donnell so 80, 90, he was 25 he was 25 in this film playing yeah. somebody who traditionally should be more like 11, 12 I guess so I suppose oh, they were selling him as what like 16, 17? probably yeah, yeah I never believed that though I never believed that I always thought he was in his 20s too old but well, I do plus love... he's riding a motorcycle yeah, well, he needs to put his younger America to drive and stuff, isn't it? 
But I do love the the circus scene with the very classic red and yellow. Yeah, the flying races is done well, apart from the added brother. Yeah, but they they all die anyway, so (laughs) they're meaningless. They die anyway. It's a bit of a mute point, really. Yeah, I had a brother, but you know, the storyline continued. And I like the first introduction of him being a superhero in his Flying Grayson's leotard. Oh, yeah. That's a great scene, actually. I never understood that scene because I'm like, why is there so much sand? It was in an underground bit. It was a construction site. Construction site. I never understood what it was. So they were doing some underground construction. They were doing construction on the building because they're scaffolding up the building because he drops down that huge pipe. Um, So he jumps out of the building flies down a certain degree and then hits the scaffolding and goes through the pipe. So they were doing some kind of construction work, so I just always presumed... My rational mind thought it was just part of the construction work. Yeah, I, just, I was always like, what's going on here? Did he mean to fall down the tube? I don't know, and then he does the weird thing where they try and blow him up with what looks like a nail gun and the gas, and he flips that little switch in his utility belt and suddenly he becomes CGI for a minute. Oh, he's got his like, Terminator 3 cape, hasn't he? Yeah. Now, this was the first time that Batman changed actors. How did you feel about Val Kilmer and his bat nipples? So I suppose he was alright actually, I didn't mind him. Um, he didn't have the same sort of... I found him to be a bit more... I want to say wooden? I thought he made a good Bruce Wayne, but not necessarily a great Batman. I actually think his Bruce Wayne is a bit better than Michael Keaton's. Michael Keaton as a, as a whole Bruce Wayne Batman package, I think is the best. I think that Kilmer was alright as Batman, but far too expressive, like Batman smiling in the costume. Yeah, and thumbs up. Yes, and the thumbs up. And also going to chase Meridian's apartment when she's being amorous with her wafty sheet. Um, but I do like his Bruce Wayne. I think he's, he did a very good conflicted Bruce Wayne. He did. And we got to see a lot more of him being Bruce Wayne as well. So we actually got to go to Wayne Tech. Yes, with John Favreau director of Iron Man and Iron Man 2 makes an appearance. So, so this was the start of the more sort of slightly unnecessary long lingering shots on the bat bum and the bat nipples. It was, wasn't it? This was the originator of the lingering suit-up shots which were weird. I never understood that. But we got more bat gadgets as well so that... There were a lot of gadgets in this That one. blue group. Yeah, the blue hoop. I actually thought that the... So again, I obviously owned the the behind-the-scenes making-of book for this film, as you would. Uh, There were some great alternate costume designs for this, actually, and also for Batman and Robin. Uh, But there are a lot of really cool gadget designs. So I really like the bat grapples in this one, um, which you'll notice in uh, the next film are used by Batgirl. Batman gets an upgrade... Batgirl gets Batmans. Yeah. It's like a make your way through the tech thing. And upcycling. Yes, he was upcycling. Uh, there are some, I'm trying to think what other cool gadgets there are in this one. Yeah, so you get he electrifies the guys at the start when he's doing the fight after the lift where you get the whole <laughs> bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, what other cool gadgets are there in this one? I love. I actually really like the Batmobile design in this one. Yeah, I quite like the Batmobile actually. I never understood the one random scene where the fin splits in half. Was that an accident? I always thought that was an accident. The toy did it as well, though. Okay, maybe, maybe it was an accident. Oh, let's just keep it. It could have been. Um, 
and do you remember when we when they had the uh, Dawn of the Superheroes exhibit at the O2? I'm pretty sure one of the scale models of the Batmobile that they had there also had the fin separated. Oh yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. So I think I don't know. I think it was part of the design that, that just never really got to implement in the film, apart from once, sort of by accident. What do you think of the villain casting? I love the fact that we now know that uh, Tommy Lee Jones and I was about to call him Edward Nygma. And Jim Carrey didn't get on at all. You would never know that watching the film. No, and I, I only know it from reading the interview with Jim Carrey, so that if for anybody that doesn't know the history to this one, Jim Carrey hadn't met Tommy Lee Jones before and saw him in a restaurant just before they were to, due to start shooting and walked over to him to say hi, and Tommy Lee Jones says something, I can't remember the exact quote, but says something to him that's basically the equivalent of, please F off, I can't stand you, I hate you. I just I I will be with you on camera if I have to, but I'd rather not. I mean, I suppose he must be quite a difficult person to work with. I don't imagine he was much like his character off screen. Maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, look at every film he's been in. He's quite animated, so true. Yeah. But he made a damn good Riddler. I thought he was quite good as the Riddler. Uh, <laughs> instantly in my head, I've gone to that weird bit towards the end of the film after he's been hit by every single memory or whatever it is that was in that device and he's lying on the floor and he's all mutated doing he why can't I kill you <laughs> oh, that bit always made me laugh it's almost like it was in the room <laughs> um, but it does lead to an amazing little cameo when they go to Arkham Asylum first appearance of Arkham Asylum on film as well uh, who is the doctor at Arkham Asylum uh, Star Trek fans yeah Odo yes it is uh, Rennie, uh, I can never say his surname. I always call him Rennie Objeda Aubergino or something like that. I think is how you pronounce it. Um, somebody will correct me, I'm sure. But he was the doctor in Arkham Asylum. I wish we got to see more of Arkham on film. Well, we've got the gates and the. They use the footage of those gates in Birds of Prey as well. Mm. Uh, and for anybody that um, is watching this thinking, hang on a minute. They've seen Birds of Prey. When did they record this? I thought they were filming Birds of Prey now. I mean the 2002 short-lived TV series. And not Birds of Prey and the emancipation of one Miss Harley Quinn. No. Due in theatres, January 2020. Nice nice plug, nice plug. Um, what were we saying? Nigma, good Riddler, very good. Um, Thinking Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, good Nigma as well. Too many leotards, though. Too... Well, you see, I... Uh, okay... There's so just again, a bit too much Jim was, Carrey that you need to see. This was again where I thought the film was almost like a live-action version of Adam West because they echoed um, Frank Gorshin's suit from 66. They did, I mean, it was a good replication. It was just, you know, slightly... They updated it with the sort of... Well, even Frank Gorshin had a jacket at times, but the whole jacket and the little hat thing I quite liked. Yeah. I love the cane. What I wouldn't give for one of those canes. Like Just a, rid- a Riddler pimp cane. Yeah, exactly. Everybody needs one. Exactly. Tommy Lee Jones, um, I thought was alright as Two-Face. He works well in the context of the film. I don't know, it's not a great version of that character. No, I also was... never understood why they changed the origin slightly. Well, he still, it was still a courtroom acid attack. It was, but it wasn't Moroni, was it? I'm sure it was. Maybe it was. You only see it for a split second, don't you? Yeah. I'm sure it was still Maroney, or right. at least a Falcone. It was one of the two. Hmm. Right. Weirdly, I know, I'm not sure that I know this film as well as I thought I did. Well, we're just going to watch it now. <laughs> Before we move on to Batman and Robin, what about the change in music for this film? I didn't love the music in this film. I just found it a bit 
There wasn't a huge lot of depth to it. It was all very samey. I think it's quite... It's uh, still very iconic, but it's just yeah. not, it's not got the same punch as Elfman. No, but no one would have the same punch as Elfman. No. Like I said, that, that score for Batman Returns is my favourite film score of all film scores ever. And we know I own quite a lot of them. And I do like this, and there are certain themes in it that I like, but it's not... It doesn't... It doesn't stand up as well as Elfman does. This film did have a great pop music soundtrack, though, because you've got U2, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, which has an amazing animated video that goes with it. You've got Seal, Kiss from a Rose. There's a lot of good pop music in this one. But then it's probably more reflective of the time that it's from, really, isn't it? But that's more reflective of the time that it's from, really, isn't it? Oh, it totally is. It's the most 90s-sounding soundtrack that you'll hear. Got a bit of Offspring on there, Brandy... So many just random... That's Moesha, for those who used to watch Nickelodeon. Oh, God, Moesha. that's when he steals the Batmobile, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Come you want to go around, around in my, my love machine, baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and then he rescues the girl, and she's like... I'm sorry, listener. Uh, no, it's not her, is it? Oh, actually... That's not Batman, that's Batboy! <laughs> and then uh, you get the neon face people. They do the whole... I love the makeup in that scene. They do the whole neon fight scene, which they then replicate again in Batman and Robin. Um, with, their, with their twirling sticks, it's not Power Rangers. Yeah. You're going to have to give some context on that one, are you not? If, if they know, they'll know. Okay, they, okay fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they do They do that. It's not Batman, that's Batboy. And then he saves the girl, who really looks like Alicia Silverstone, uh, but isn't. And then she does the whole, doesn't Batman kiss the girl? Oh, it's just so cheesy at the same time. And then you get this, like... Swell of music when it happens oh, as well. Yeah. yeah, I know. Oh, it's just so cheesy, but at the same time, it just—it was so good when you were a kid to watch. Um, I was about to ask you for a review score, but we're not doing that. Uh, if if I'd still give it a thumbs up, though, even if I was reviewing it. Yeah, definitely. So, if there's nothing else that you've got to say about Batman Forever, we'll move on to uh, 1997's Batman and Robin. This is the way the world could end. Please, show some mercy. With ice. With a kiss. With venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. Batman will watch his beloved Gotham perish. Bundle up, boys. There's a storm coming. Kill the heroes! It's the hockey team from hell! Cool party! Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. George Clooney. Julia, I'm not the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't doesn't quite cover it. Chris O'Donnell. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are 
Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about that person? Found the Batcave. She knows who we are. Guess we just have to kill her. Yep. In Joel Schumacher film. Courage. Partners. Honor. Partners. And loyalty. Partners. It all comes together. We're going to need a bigger cave. Batman and Robin. Give us a synopsis then. So the... The synopsis for this one is maybe don't watch it. It's not no. <laughs> I'm like uh, <laughs> the synopsis is Batman and Robin try to keep their relationship together even as they must stop Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy from freezing Gotham City. Right. So once again, we've had a change of Batman, but actually, Batman doesn't get top billing according to IMDb for this movie. <gasps> so top, top billing then? actually goes to Arnold Schwarzenegger. So this film has Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze slash Doctor Victor Freeze. George, <laughs> George Clooney as Batman Bruce Wayne, Chris O'Donnell returning as Robin slash Dick Grayson, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy slash Pamela Isley. Really felt like singing Uma Thurman by Full Eye Boy for a minute there. Do you know, I've just realised that is actually Uma Thurman. Did you not realise that? I don't think I've ever realised that before. Really? Yeah. I just thought she was that lady. This was at the peak of her cheesy movie kind of part of her career so this was around the same time that she was in the remake of much loved British TV series The Avengers yeah I was what 9, 10 uh, 1997 8 I was 12 <laughs> this one came out in June though so I, this one moved further away from my birthday you've also got Alicia what? Silverstone in this one as Batgirl slash Barbara Wilson oh, oh god and uh Michael Goff in his last appearance as Alfred. Pat Hingle in his last appearance as Commissioner Gordon as well. And John Glover in the first of many, many, many appearances in the DC Universe. In this one he was uh, Jason Woodrow, who obviously is part of the Swamp Thing universe as well. Uh, this was before his appearance in um, Smallville as Lionel Luther and plenty of other characters in the DC Universe over the years. You've also got model Elle McPherson in this one as Julie Madsen, so it was Madsen. And Vivica Fox as... And what was her character's name? Miss Behaven. Ah, oh, Miss Behaven. <laughs> She's the, uh, like, random female goon that's with Mr. Freeze. You know the one that's like, My hair is brittle and my skin is dry. I just want to love you, Mr. Freeze. And he's like, My, my heart only thoughts for my bride. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> um, okay. Right. Um, this is so difficult. This will be a quick one. Things you like about this film? Go. Um, <laughs> he's Mr. White Christmas. He's, he's Mr. Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Icicle. Yeah, that's off into the background. Uh, go on. Um, I like the scene. So I like the continuity having Commissioner Gordon from '89 up until now. Yes, that was yeah. And I love Mrs. Kane coming back as well. Oh, yes. We've not really spoken about her cameos. No, we haven't spoken about her cameos. Sorry. So we'll recap them for anyone that's interested. So Mrs. Bob Kane, she was random woman outside the cemetery gates in Batman Returns. She was... Oh, she's then the same character in the next two, isn't she? So she's then a reporter. She's Gossip Gertie in uh, Forever and Batman and Robin. 
I just love her. <gasps> Bruce Wayne! Technically in the last film, but there we go. You do a very good impression of it, though. Thank you. It's almost like she's here. Um, what else do I like about this film? That we almost get a Nightwing, but we don't really get a Nightwing. Ah, it's always bothered me, because by that stage I knew who Nightwing was, and I was just like, ah! Because uh, obviously he says Nightwing in Batman forever, and he's like, I need a name. Watch Batboy, Nightwing, and you're like, <gasps> and now he's wearing the Nightwing costume, albeit the wrong colour, at that stage, because the new 52 didn't exist, and it's like, but he's dressed as Nightwing and he's calling himself Robin. Yeah. I liked his motorcycle in this, though. He had a good motorcycle, I'll give him that. I always wanted that toy, but I never got it. Yeah. Uh, what else is good about this film? Uh, I suppose it is what it is, really. I mean, it is really, 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 really cheesy and camp. <laughs> Um, I do like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. I think he just is a really good cheesy camp version of that character. Uh, he's probably not playing it that way, but it comes across really funny. And I've got a lot of useless information in my head on this film. Yeah, that's probably about it, really. Okay. Uh, things I like about this film. I liked Mr. Freeze costume. Yes. I thought it was a well-made costume. It was well-made, well done costumes and props although Poison Ivy is not written the best and is not the best representation of that character and she awful lo- eyebrows she, she looks spot on she mm-hmm. looks like Poison Ivy to me yeah yeah uh, which is a small consolation although I do okay I do love this <laughs> I do love the scene where they're doing the uh, the the probably now considered incredibly sexist auction for the flower girls <laughs> and then she does that ridiculous seductive dance in a monkey costume oh, God. I really like that piece of music though to be fair that piece of score I actually quite like but when she's doing the whole sexy dance and taking off the giant purple ape costume um, oh it's just so funny and that's when we get to see the back credit card the back credit card don't yes. leave home without it and that very emphatic uh, guy in the auction is like, And I bid $100,000 for Poison Ivy. Whatever it is. Um, yes. Yeah. Cheesy. I'm trying to think what else I like about this film. I still like the gadget designs. Some of the set design is also quite cool. I, one thing I will say for Joel Schumacher, and his, I'm not sure who did the production design. It's a name I'll have to look up. I do like the whole neon version of Gotham. Yeah, I, mean, I like the gothic version, yeah. but I like the neon version as well. It's almost like a stark contrast to the Burton Gotham, but this is like a really like crazy, hyper-futuristic, they're still gothic, but it's like modernised. I'm trying to think, 1997? No, Batman, so Batman Beyond is uh, 20 years old this year as well, actually. So that would be 1999, so that wasn't around yet. I was just wondering, I was just thinking in my head whether it was slightly uh, influenced by what Bruce Timm was doing at that point, but no, they were still doing Batman the Animated Series at this stage. I'm honestly struggling to think of anything else I like in this film. What don't you like? To be fair, I don't dislike the costume design before the ice suits. And the nipples. Yeah, ignore ignore that. Um, and the bum shots. There's a lot of bum shots in this one. I, there is, yeah, again, and well, there's, there's boob as well because you've got Batgirl as well now. I don't dislike Batgirl's costume design. It always bothered me that she didn't wear a cowl but uh, the domino mask thing approach was kind of all right. Well, she wore it when she was riding the motorbike. So that, oh, thank you. Road safety, no? You've literally, you've just opened the gates to a, to a tidbit of information. 
So in the making of book for this movie... I'm sorry, uh, listening. You, uh, that's the, so the, the original costume design does actually have the full cowl and doesn't have the hair, and that's what they were going for with that motorcycle scene before she takes it off. But at the same time, all of the toys for this film were made based on the costume designs. So if you happen to have the Batgirl action figure, which I did, she didn't have the hair or the domino mask. She had the cowl from the costume design because it got changed at the last minute. There is also, and I don't know how much of this is true, but there is a story out there that most of the scenes with Batgirl were cut because Alicia Silverstone had gained a few pounds during production and the wardrobe team had to refit her costume. Ooh. Yeah, when the press discovered the news, they slammed Silverstone's weight gain and mocked the actress for being too fat and to fit into a costume. I'm reading this from IMDb, by the way. Uh, so director Joel Schumacher publicly defended Silverstone during interviews and press meetings, joking, what is this girl's big sin? She ate some pizza? Oh my god. Oh, Joel Schumacher. I mean, he apologised for this film on the commentary in the special edition DVD, so that says it all, really. As, as well he should. It was just a toy commercial. Yeah, but you know, it is, sometimes it is just a nice sort of Sunday film. It's totally a good Sunday film, yeah. One thing that does annoy me with this, actually, is the score. Yeah, what a rehash of forever. Yeah, being a connoisseur of the film score, it is mostly just rehashed from the last film. When you listen to the score for 89 and Returns, they have themes, like the Batman theme, but they are totally different, whereas this, there isn't a huge amount of new music in this one. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, really. So, let's wrap this one up. <laughs> what, because you wish to forget about it and move on really quickly? <laughs> yes. There's not a lot of redeeming features to this one. It had an alright comic adaption, it's a fun Sunday watch, but it, yeah, this is, this is best left as a moment forgotten in the Batman pantheon. So what's your favourite scene then, very quickly, to wrap up? Uh, I don't know that I have a favourite scene. What about favourite guilty pleasure scene? <laughs> so, where... Oh! Uh, you've, okay, two things. Uh, favourite guilty pleasure scene when uh, Robin is stuck in the pond at Poison Ivy's and Batman is being held up by the vines and Batgirl drops in for the first time <laughs> and sees Poison Ivy and says to her, you're about to become compost. Yeah. <laughs> With a horrible posh girl. Yeah. When she does her high kick. Oh my God. Chicks like you give women a bad name. Oh, it's just so punny. It's awful. But... You, you know what annoys me about that scene. It's rewinded. Yes, that horrible, horrible shot where uh, Robin is under the water and lifts his head up and then it completely just rewinds for his head to go back under. It's so obvious. It's just the sloppiest, most lazy editing. Uh, it's making me angry just thinking about it. So what's your favourite scene? Uh, you've just taken it, actually. It's the only scene worth watching in the whole film. Yeah. It makes me think of you in your sort of posh accent. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ending that there, moving swiftly on to, uh, to Batman Begins. So let's have a listen to a trailer with some nice music and definitely nothing cheesy about it. Tell us, Mr. Wayne. Parents' death was not your fault. My parents did. 
deserve justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Which is? A legend, Mr. Wayne. Master Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. Rachel? You were gone a long time. I know. Things are worse than ever down here. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? Normex survival suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar utility harness, gas-powered magnetic grapple gun. What's that? On the tumbler? Oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. I spent a lot of time being scared for you. IMDb synopsis for this film reads, after training with his mentor, Batman begins his fight to free crime-ridden Gotham City from corruption. Batman Begins stars Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman, Michael Caine as Alfred, Ken Watanabe as Rachel Ghoul, Liam Neeson as Ducard, also Rachel Ghoul, Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes, Gary Oldman as Jim Gordon, and Killian Murphy as Dr. Jonathan Crane slash The Scarecrow. Also starring our Tom Wilkinson, Rutger Hauer, Mark Boone Jr., Linus Roche, and of course, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. Now before we begin... Batman begins, yes. Uh -huh. Is it Raish or is it Raz? I say Raish. Okay. What do you say? Um, Raish al Ghul, Raj al Ghul. Raj? There's no, there's no J in there. Well, go back to Batman the Animated Series and he was called Raish. Okay, we'll go with Rache then. That's always been my thoughts on it. This is quite an interesting one for me because it came out in June of 2005, just before my 20th birthday. So it was my first sort of new Batman cinema-going experience as an adult. Certainly with a lot more understanding of the comic book version of Batman. Because there'd been such a gap between and Robin and Begins that I'd read a lot and grown up quite a lot in that time. Hmm, interesting. I suppose this was my first sort of almost adult experience of Batman as well, being, what, 16? Yep. So it was a lot different to the Batman and Robin era type films. This was a lot more grown up, really. But you weren't reading comic books then, were you? So. No. Really. <laughs> I'd say it like that. Um, I guess it was still a sort of learning experience for you. Yeah. Whereas I think this was the first time I had real expectations about what I wanted to see. That was the big difference to me. I had this film 
I had I, going into this film, I had a list of things that I was hoping for that would be in it. And were your expectations met? Yeah, on the whole, I think so. This is obviously also the first Batman film that came out after the internet really became a thing. I'm sure Batman and Robin probably had an official website back in old 1997. When you think about how far things had come from like 1997 to where they were in 2005, we knew a lot more about films. So film trailers are a totally different entity to what they are then. You've got films that are you're expecting like a teaser and a trailer and a second trailer before they're released. And you've also got the internet and people being, you know, social media is now a thing. So we knew where it was filming, we knew what it was being, you know, we knew where the locations were, we knew what the shooting title was, we knew everything about this film, which for the which was that was a first for the for the Batman era of movies at least. Standout moments for you in Batman Begins. It was good to see an origin of him on the big screen because we didn't we've never really seen that before. He was always just established. It was, but we've already seen the Wayne murders a couple of times. Yeah, but we didn't see the the training. The anyway. running away and the training around the world and meeting Descartes and all of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, he's called Descartes, isn't he? Yeah, Liam Neeson's called Descartes for most of this film. Oh. It's only towards the end when they... I hope, <laughs> let's hope that everyone listening to this has watched Batman Begins. It's only when they have the birthday party at Wayne Manor that the lady walks up to him and says, oh, there's someone that I need to introduce you to. Bruce Wayne, this is Mr. Raz Al Ghul. Only person in the film to call him Raz. Um, and he turns around and it's Liam Neeson. And then he gives him the whole speech of Raj Al Ghul is a figurehead, not necessarily a person. That was the whole bait and switch that Ken Watanabe looked like what you would expect Raj Al Ghul to look like, but Liam Neeson was actually him. Now I'm just picking up on the Descartes thing, because that's more of a, a Red Hood storyline. Oh, right, okay, sorry. Do elaborate. Well, no, because they're like another race of sort of... Because that's who Talia sends Jason off to go and be trained by. So standard moments for me, so again, we'd have to be getting to actually see the journey of him becoming Batman. So going off to be a criminal, being in prison, and then learning the art with the magic blue flowers. My second standout moment would be Scarecrow, because we've never seen Scarecrow on the big screen, which was always exciting. What are your standout moments from this film? Beginning, middle and end. Original, as always. Uh, no, okay, standout moments for me. I really like when he falls down the well as a kid. Now, why did we fall? Bruce. Bruce. So we can pick ourselves, we can learn to pick ourselves back up again. Very good. I also really enjoy him piecing together being Batman before he is Batman. Scenes like the does it come in black scene when he's first test driving the Batmobile, when he's uh, forging the Batarangs in the not yet constructed Batcave, when he's, you know, sanding them down. Uh, spraying the costume as well and testing the carol when they do the version that goes wrong because there's something wrong with the graphite and then they talk about ordering new ones. I like all of that. I like how you just I like how you see him constructing being Batman and I thought that was that harkened back well to Chris Nolan's ethos that you wanted it to be a very real Batman. So instead of being a slightly more mythical vigilante figure, there's a lot more craft behind him becoming who he is. It's very much grounded in reality in a yes. way. And there's no nipples. No, there's not. Thank God. What were your not-so-favourite moments of this film? Katie Holmes. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I had... Let's be fair to her. She's not bad in this film, but she's the weakest of a high class of actor who is in this film. I didn't mind her. I don't mind her either. 
She's a bit wooden at times. Some of her lines come off as a bit... Like she's reading from a script. There's one scene in particular I'm trying to think of. She's... I think it's when she's in Arkham Asylum. And it's... She's kind of realised that there's something wrong with Jonathan Crane. And she's wondering why... Oh no, it's when she gets that phone call. So right before she goes to the asylum, she goes to Bruce to wish him a happy birthday. And she gives him the arrowhead from when they were kids. And then her phone rings and we can only hear her side of the conversation. And she's like... What? Oh no! I will get down there right now! And it's really just, I don't know, there's something, I just find that she's not very natural in it, is my problem. Other than that, there's not a lot that I don't really like. I don't like Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones, and therefore, watching this film, I just see his face and all I think of is Joffrey. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, he's only on for about 30 seconds. Oh, but do you, oh, no, you won't remember this, because you're not a complete geek like I am. But everyone thought that was Robin. Back in 2005, people were convinced that because he was wearing a red shirt, that he would be Robin. That he would come back in a later film and would be Robin. Because Batman obviously handed him a little gadget after he'd used it and had a chat with him. And it wasn't a throwaway scene, because then he's the same kid that ends up with... Um, I was about to say, with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Wrong film, that's the next one. Uh, with Rachel, after the bombs go off and everyone's been gassed, he obviously then ends up being in the film a little bit more and people thought he was a little... He was too frequent within that last act of the film to be a completely random character. And then he was completely a random character and never saw him again. Oh, and they went off to Westeros and caused a bit of havoc. Yes. I do really enjoy the music in this film. This was my... I think this was my introduction to Hans Zimmer. I must have known his music from before, but didn't really know his name. So this was when I really learned who he was. I really, really liked his music in this. He worked with James Newton Howard on this one and The Dark Knight. And then it's just Hans who did the... Did the Dino Rises. Are you a fan of the score to this one? Yes, I do quite like the score to this one. It's often a sort of a nighttime playlist, I think. Yeah. And as I was telling you earlier, before we were recording this, it I only learned recently that uh, half the track names on the soundtrack spell out Batman with the first letter. Because they didn't come up with names for the score to this one. They each Each track is named after a different type of bat. But they're listed in an order that means that they spell Batman as the first letter of the tracks. Very, very clever. <laughs> I also think this is quite an interesting time in cinema, because this is a bit of a turning point. When you think about Batman Forever, there's very, very little CGI. There's the the bat suit that goes all Terminator so that it doesn't get on fire. And then there is some CGI in Batman and Robin, but there are still miniatures. Where we are in 2005, there's obviously a lot more CGI now, but they still use quite a lot of miniatures in this film. So, the narrows, you see wide shots of the narrows, and that is a, that's a scale model, which is enhanced with CGI. Obviously the Gotham City uh, cityscape is enhanced with the monorail, and that's not real. That was mainly Chicago, I think, that they used for that, and enhanced with CGI, so now we're starting to see this be a more of a technological Batman as well. Well, filmmaking has progressed quite a lot, really. I know, but when you think about other films at the same time, so you're not far off Marvel beginning of the cinematic universe at that point, so you're not far off films like Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk, whereas Warner Brothers still lent towards the more classical types of filmmaking, using physical props and using more physical stuntmen and doing things practically rather than doing everything in a computer, which I really appreciate. I would agree with that. Definitely. Um, it kinda, it's a nicer touch to the film as well. 
It makes you think that, it, I, for me, personally, I get more involved in a film because I know it's real. I'm less bothered by a stuntman that's obviously not the actor than I am by a really fluid, rubbery-looking CGI version of a character. So, like, when the... Towards the end of the film, in the final fight, when the monorail car explodes, when he leaves Rachel Ghoul in there, and uh, he wafts the cape out and then gets sucked out and flies over the cityscape, that's obviously a real actor up to the point where he flies out of the back of the car and then it becomes CGI, but I don't think you would ever know. Uh, and that's one of the only times they use it in the film. Other than that, it's all practical stunts, and I just it means I can engage more with the film because I know it's real, and I appreciate the effort that goes into being able to create that. Also, surely saves money. But the insurance bill must be massive, though. It is, but when you can compare, like, the millions of dollars spent on crafting a completely CGI character... So hiring an actor to do uh, motion capture, to then CGI it, to then make a fully realised character, to then integrate it into reality, rather than hanging someone on wires. Yeah, just throwing them out of a train, really. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I really appreciated that. And that's something that goes through all three of Christopher Nolan's films. Yeah, definitely. Overall thoughts for this one? Controversial opinion, but it might be my favourite of the three. Because my favourite of the three is not The Dark Knight, which is a controversial opinion. And I yo-yo between Batman Begins, because I really enjoy the origin, and The Dark Knight Rises, which is probably very few people's favourite of the three, but I love it because it adapts one of my favourite comic book storylines in a way. So, it's difficult. But overall, I absolutely love this film. I don't re-watch it as much as I watch uh, the others, for that very fact of I think I watched this a lot when it came out. I can remember... I saw it at the cinema four times. And then I had a pirated copy before it came out on DVD. In the days when if you wanted a DVD rip in like full quality, it came in two parts to make it easier to download. Because the internet was so much slower back then, kids. And then obviously had it on DVD. I now have it on Blu-ray. I think it's just a film I've watched to death slightly. Overall thoughts from you? Um, good, I know, a good film. It was a nice reintroduction of the genre. So we had a nice long gap to get away from the, the nipples and the back credit card. Um, and, a, and a nice retelling of a classic storyline. Also, possibly my favourite Batsuit. I'm not a fan of when he changes the Batsuit in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Actually, I prefer the Batsuit in The Dark Knight. Hmm, okay. Because he can move his head. Well, that's true, yeah. I suppose that is, that's fair enough. It's not very good against dogs, though. <laughs> Or cats. They do fine against cats. That is something else. These films are not as quotable as the uh, as the classics. No, but they do have a good couple of classic lines in, in Begins. Such as? Uh, well, why did we fall? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, uh, others? Uh, I often like seeing on the on the fight scene on the ice. Yeah, what does he say? <laughs> Where he says, never sacrifice sure footing for a killing blow. <laughs> Anything else from this one? Uh, breathe quite a lot, but in a really like sinister voice when he's breathing the flower. So breathe, Mister Wayne. Do you remember that? Mm. That's, like, that's a good one. <laughs> that's probably about really. I feel like Alfred should be the most quotable character, just because it's Michael Caine. Yeah, but he doesn't really have any good ones this film. Okay, that all comes later. He has a couple of good ones later on. Okay, we'll look forward to those as the as the next few minutes go by. If we're done with that one, we'll move on to 2008's The Dark Knight. Here's a little snippet of the trailer.
A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. <laughs> Here's my card. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Well, hello, beautiful. You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. Come on. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Will you be wanting the bat putzer? In the middle of the day, Alfred? Not very subtle. The Lamborghini, then. Much more subtle. Released on the 24th of July 2008, happy birthday to my mum for that day, uh, The Dark Knight stars Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman, Heath Ledger as the Joker, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, Michael Caine as Alfred, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon, uh, James Gordon, he's not quite Commissioner yet, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, and this time round, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel Dawes, replacing Katie Holmes. Synopsis for this one is when the menace known as the Joker emerges from his mysterious past, he wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham. The Dark Knight must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. What were your initial feelings about this film before it came out? I was very excited for this one because I do love the Joker and I was intrigued to see what Heath Ledger could do with it. Obviously that was before he died. It was great that they came back for a second one, bringing back Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale. It was nice to see that they felt it did well enough that it deserved a sequel. When Heath Ledger died, I knew exactly what was going to happen at that point, which was that suddenly this film was going to get a hell of a lot more attention than it probably would have beforehand. And that in that weird situation, it then becomes something it might not necessarily have become before. So a controversial opinion for some from me is I don't think he would have won an Oscar if he hadn't died. I'm not saying that he's not a good Joker, because he is a very, very good Joker. He's a very different Joker, just like Jared Leto is a very different Joker. Not necessarily as good, but 
they are very different versions of it. But I think through the magnifying glass of he's passed away and everyone's looking at it and thinking, is this why he died? Did he go crazy because he played the Joker? Because he's a bit of a method actor and he was really in, in it, in the mindset. I just think that the level of greatness gets slightly over-exaggerated through the historical lens. What were your thoughts about this one before it came out? So a bit anxious, again, because I was such a massive fan of Jack Nicholson's Joker, and you thought, you know what, they've done that before, maybe maybe we'd, we should see somebody different, a different villain we've not seen before. But very pleasantly surprised when we actually got to see it, because he is actually a very good Joker and a very he different is. He's really He really is very good. A very different take on things as well. And, you know, we've got more sort of cinematic advances in this film with the, the IMAX scenes. Yeah, this was one of the first films that did IMAX, actually. There's only four or five minutes of it in the film, and I quite like the shifting aspect ratio. Uh, the level of depth in IMAX is absolutely unbelievable as well. That was almost, that was something, that was something we'd never seen before at this stage. Just the, the scale of it, and that's what Christopher Nolan's become known for. He doesn't do small movies. He does huge scope and huge, amazing visuals. And it's... Uh, I'm going to say it's Wally Feister, I think, is the name of the cinematographer worked with him on this one, and I'm pretty sure worked with him on The Dark Knight Rises as well, which are both just stunning films to look at. They're like artwork. So what are your standout moments from this one? love the fight sequence with the truck that gets flipped while he's on the Batpod. Yeah, the circus truck. Yeah, don't particularly like when the Batpod goes vertical up a wall and flips over. My eyes freak out every time I watch that, because I can't quite figure out the logistics of it. Uh... Other standout moments, I love the IMAX um, scene in Hong Kong when he dives off the building. That's pretty cool. Uh, and he, when he goes flying through the window of Lao Industries. Oh, I had that phone. That phone, that Nokia phone I had, the Batman Dark Knight Rises phone. phone. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what else are my standout moments in this one. What are yours? So the bus scene, not the bus scene, the, the bank scene at the start. Yeah, it bothers me. That scene bothers me. Why does it bother you? Because there are no kids on the bus. It's, well, sorry, let me give you context. So you get seen in the bank, the bus comes through the wall, and then the bus drives out and gets... No one knows which is the bus that broke the bank because you, you see in that scene it's in a convoy of school buses. And as they're going along in that wide shot, you can hear kids happy and playing and stuff like they're on the school bus. But you can see that all those buses are empty. Oh. <laughs> it just bothers me. I've never noticed that, but thank you for pointing that out. I can't unsee it, sorry. Wonderful. <laughs> Carry on. Um, my second standard scene again, so the bit in Hong Kong when he jumps off the roof. Yeah. Because that's all practical effects as well, I assume. Uh, not sure that someone actually skydived from one building to another. It was really somebody stood on the roof yes, of that building. that's what I mean. I'm oh, not, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. That really is someone stood on the roof of a building. I'm not that naive to think somebody... You know, jumped off a roof and then sort of skydived and like then Batman and got, then crashed their window. And then got scissored by a plane and flew away with somebody else in their arms. That would be very, very impressive <laughs> if they did that. <laughs> Sorry. Realistically. <laughs> yeah, no, but realistically someone did stand on the roof of a building with an IMAX camera, yeah. yes. That's fine. That was well done. Um, and then what else? I think that's it. Those two are my standout moments. Okay. Quotable moments for you from this one? Obviously, why so serious? Obviously, Quoted most famous death. one. Yeah. Um, all it needs is a little push. Yes. 
very good recordable moment. Good with calculation. Oh, yes, Mr. Lau Mr. is good Lau. with calculation. He's very good with calculation. Yeah. And I think those are my main quotable moments, I think. Okay. Is there anything about this film in particular that you're not so keen on? I was never a big fan of how they did Two-Face. Not his characterisation, but the physical look. I didn't mind that, actually. It was quite menacing. It bothered me about his eyeball. I was going to say, I can remember you telling me that none of this would be physically possible. Well, that's because I have a medical background. But, I mean, realistically, <laughs> that eye would not have survived. <laughs> no. You know, I didn't, you know, that eyeball would have popped instantly in that heat. I liked the, uh, the, the mouth, where you could see inside the back of his mouth through the muscle and everything. Yeah, I mean, he took a drink at oil, like, dribbles out. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I guess I've always thought of him as more of the cartoon. Well, it's funny that I say this now, because I was saying a few minutes ago that Tommy Lee Jones' version is not my favourite, but I, w- I think I'd lean more towards the cartoonish version of Two-Face than the more realistic version. What, where his face is just more, like, scarred than yeah. holy? I like the version from Batman the Animated Series. I know he wouldn't necessarily be blue in real life, but I just I like the way that that is done. I thought that was... It fits well with that aesthetic. And this was... I don't know, maybe it was just a little bit too realist for me, rather than cartoony, comic booky. That's a slightly different origin as well, because there was no sort of acid in the face in the courtroom. No, but I like the emotionality of them killing off Rachel. It was right to kill off Rachel rather than um, Harvey, but at the same time it meant that you kind of knew going into that scene exactly what was going to happen, which ruined some of the suspense of it for anybody that understood who the Harvey Dent character was. Yeah, but Rachel was a bit... You know, touch and go in that scene. She's like, oh, don't worry, Harvey, you'll be fine. But really, they're coming for me. Yeah. She's like, oh, actually, they came for you. Oh. Yeah, she's like, I know, I know, it's fine. It's, f- oh. Oh, they didn't come for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is quite, that's a, that is a little bit harsh. I like, like Maggie, you know, uh, I like you're, Maggie You're a Gillen. support actress, hey? This guy's the main character here. I like Maggie Gyllenhaal, though. She's, she was a much better Rachel than uh, Katie Holmes was. I wouldn't say that it was she was written better in the film. I do think it was just a different calibre of actress. There's a really horrible scene at the start that really drives me mad when I think she's talking to Harvey and he said he's going to meet him with Jim. Yeah. And then she does that horrible thing where she's like, oh, yeah, Jim, he's a friend. Be nice. I'm like, oh, my God, that was like the worst possible type of acting I've ever seen. It just really annoys me. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, went, you went quite deep on that one. I know the scene you mean when they, uh, so it's just after the courtroom scene where he's uh, he's pulled the gun and taken it apart and says to Moroni, you need to buy American. Um, and then they're walking along and he says he's off for a meeting. Yeah. She turns to him and she's like, oh, Jim, he's a friend actually. Yeah, I don't know why, it just really irritates me. Mm. It, seems, it comes across as really false. I didn't really feel like those two had a huge amount of chemistry as a couple. No. I didn't quite, but be- I still don't really quite believe the romance between... Rachel and Harvey. That felt a little contrived for the sake of keeping her relevant in the film and having her be the the go, the go-between for Bruce and Harvey. White Knight, Dark Knight, damsel in distress sort of thing. Also I thought she would have died of a heart attack when Joker threw her out of a window. Well, it depends on your disposition really. Maybe she's done a bit of skydiving in the past. <laughs> true, true. But then again she's so sure of herself that somebody's going to come and save her, so... Is it, this is the longest of the Batman films, isn't it? Or one of the longest versions, because it was kind of clocking up towards the three-hour mark, wasn't it? 152 minutes. So two and a half hours. Two hours 32, basically, uh, for this one. So it is. It was a very long film at the time, particularly given that Batman Begins uh, is much, much shorter 
All the other ones had been around 90 minutes. Batman Begins ran for 140, so it was only 12 minutes shorter, actually. But this does feel longer. I can't remember off the top of my head how long The Dark Knight Rises runs for. Although, it, I mean, it does feel very long, but there was a quite a lot of story to it as well, and it does all sort of connect up at the end. The Dark Knight Rises was 164 minutes, so that was the longest of them. Nothing comes close to being as long as Batman vs Superman, particularly the um, director's cut. At the time, Dark Knight was the longest, though. We were seeing them getting progressively longer. Although it's very long, you do get a lot of story in there. You do get a hell of a lot of story. I get a little bit lost in the third act, once we get to the point where he does that, he shows Lucius the special project he's been working on that he doesn't agree with, and then you get the whole thing with the hostages and the, and the doctors were actually the hostages of the doctors, and the people dressed as the hostages are actually the, the goons, and I get a little bit lost in that. It wasn't the... It wasn't... It wasn't the huge scale final acts that you had come to expect from other comic book movies at the time, which is a good thing, but at the same time, I do, it just leaves me a little bit cold, that one. I just, it doesn't quite tie up the film in the most exciting way like I would have hoped it would. So it's a slightly anticlimactic where it's like, ah, I found you. There we go. Yeah. Aha, I've caught you. We're done. Because the Joker and Batman don't have a huge fight, really. The dogs are involved for a couple of minutes. He finds him, he's got the dogs with him, they have a bit of a scrap. Then he chucks him off the building in a sort of redo of Batman 89 and then catches him and strings him up upside down and they do the whole one little push. He tries to blow up the boats, but the boats don't blow up and that's it. It's just kind of done from there and then you move back to the Harvey section. So it's just the Joker story, really. The Joker story doesn't end particularly well. No, because it sort of builds so much throughout the film and it kind of comes to that and you're like, oh, that'll be that then. I appreciate that they didn't give the Joker an origin, though. I like that they stick slightly towards how he is in the comics in that he'll come in, cause chaos and disappear and he just sort of flows in and out of it quite naturally rather than being forced in with a story. He's just there for chaos. Agent of chaos, as they like to call him. Yes. Yeah. Well, in fact, I think he calls himself that in the film. He does, actually, yeah. He's a simple man. All he needs is a bit of dynamite. <laughs> he doesn't need money, he likes to burn it. Yeah. Another great scorer in this one as well which we've had the pleasure of hearing some of it live, actually, now I think about it. We have, we have, with the hands the man himself. One thing about his score, and I'm not knocking it because it is excellent and I do love all three of his, uh, he doesn't really come up with a Batman theme so much. There isn't, which is like we were talking about with Danny Elfman, nobody has ever made a theme that compares to Danny Elfman, but I don't feel like this tried. There are recurring themes in the music, but there is nothing that I say when I hear that, that I go, ah yes, that's the Batman theme. Yeah, no, he doesn't have his own sort of set theme, does he? No. But then you don't really feel like it's missing because it's... Because there are themes there. Yeah. But there's just no set sort of... Da-da-da, Batman. (laughs) Well illustrated. Final thoughts on The Dark Knight? Another very good film, um, and it blew away all my anxieties about Heath Ledger. Yeah. Not my favourite, not the worst. Definitely one of the better, but one, again, that I've seen so many times. I, I re-watched this one thinking that I will find something different in it, and I never do, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, I suppose it's got more of a hype to it than there are the rest of them. I think th- that's the thing. I think this film just ended up being slightly overhyped, which I realise is a controversial opinion, but that is how I feel about it. I just think it's a solid film. 
not one of the greatest films of all time ever in the history of cinema. And moving on to our final instalment. The Dark Knight Rises. Can you see by the dawn's early You are as precious to me as you were to your own mother and father. I swore to them that I would protect you, and I haven't. The mayor's gonna dump him in the spring. Really? Mm-hmm. But he's a hero, a war hero. This is peacetime. You think this can last? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches. Because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. What does that mean? Rise. When Gotham is ashes, you have my permission to die. So The Dark Knight Rises was released on the 20th of July 2012. Batman really likes to hang around June and July, which would make sense because the the Matt Reeves film that they've not started shooting yet is set to release in June 2021, so that's obviously typical Batman time of the year. This one stars Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman, Tom Hardy as Bane, Anne Hathaway as Selina Kyle slash never mentioned by name in the film but Catwoman, Gary Oldman, who is now Commissioner Gordon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as uh, John Robin Blake, and Marion Cotillard, Cotillard as Miranda, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, and last appearance of Michael Caine as Alfred. Now, I actually really like this film. I'm not necessarily saying that it's better than The Dark Knight, in general, in terms of cinematic terms, because I think there are a lot of problems with this film, but I always love well, you know me, I love a dystopian future anyway. Uh, but I love the whole idea of Gotham City abandoned. No Man's Land is one of my favourite comic book storylines. So naturally, anything that sees the bridges blown up is going to be, uh, it's going to be a, a favourite of mine. Thoughts on this one? It's probably my least favourite. Yeah? Of all the Batmans put together. Really? Even worse than Batman and Robin? Oh no, not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just say it's probably the one I watch the least as well. Yeah, you don't generally make it through a rewatch of this film. No, and I just, I don't know what it is. I just can't really get into it. I just feel like it's a bit disjointed in some ways, and it yeah. always leaves me wanting more. Like we're doing half of a story, 
but we're not going to give you the full story. So we're going to give you a bit of No Man's Land, but we're not really going to go to No Man's Land. Yeah. We're going to give you a bit of The Broken Batman, but we're not really going to go into that very much either. Yep. We're going to give you a wee bit of Catwoman, but we're not really going to go there very much either. We're not going to call her Catwoman. We're not going to call her Catwoman. We're going to reintroduce Talia, but we're not really going to explore that very much either. And that is probably the low point of the film, doing a really, really cheap um, like bait and switch like that. So this Miranda Tate character all the way through who we're being built up as some sort of new love interest for Bruce and they don't, they don't even hint at it particularly that there's anything more behind her. You think that she's another of Gotham's white knights with her clean energy project and she just, you know, wants to understand where her money went and what's going on with the project and then suddenly she's Talia al Ghul. And they didn't bring Liam Neeson back so we could have used... Not that I'm expecting like Lazarus Pitt Liam Neeson back but they could have done something in terms of showing a younger version of Talia um, and her relationship with her father. Yeah, we could have had some flashbacks or anything, really. Anything. She didn't feel tied to the League of Shadows or Raish at all, or any of that. And then with Bane being there... <laughs> Don't forget her, her, uh, her death scene. I can't remember the exact lines that she says, but you know when she's in the truck... When she dies and she does the like, ah, ah, you will never win. Oh, oh and then she's God, dead. Like worst death ever. Yeah. It's almost she like does, when people die from a cough and she does, that, <clears throat> she does that really typical thing where she's talking and then she's just like, ah, huh, and then her head drops and she's dead. Yeah, not good. Not a good death scene. And also, controversially, I'm not a massive fan of Bane. Um, I like that they made him strong enough that he really did feel like a good foe for Batman. Like, you genuinely felt that he would beat Batman in a fight, and I thought that was good. It's, uh, it's certainly better than the, the Bane from Batman and Robin, which we didn't talk about when we were talking about that film. No, we didn't, actually. But there, there was so little to say about that film while we were talking about it that um, it's only now in hindsight I'm suddenly remembering things like, ah, monkey work, and the awful <laughs> quotes from him. It was it was a better version of Bane, and you haven't read Nightfall, have you? Um, no. No, see, he... Not that I'm saying it's perfect representation, but it's a better version of Bane that is closer to the comic book and that particular storyline than what we'd seen before. What were your standout moments? Um, so I love the bridges being blown out and love them hinting towards a completely abandoned city. I like Anne Hathaway. I think she's a good Catwoman. I wish she'd been called Catwoman. I think she's called a cat burglar in one scene. But I wish they'd gone a little bit further with that. I like that this was more classic, so they didn't go down making her a meta-human and dropping her out a window and having her licked by a million cats. What else do I like in this film? Any particular standout scenes or moments? Oh, I actually really like the scene in the, in the football field. Oh, yeah. That was probably one of the biggest moments of CGI in the whole Christopher Nolan era, and I thought that was really well done when the pitch is blowing up around them. What are your favourite scenes? Um, I really like the scene at the start in the plane where they rip the wings off it and... Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're skipping to the quote balls here. Uh, so I like the plane scene. I think it was very well done. Yeah, I like that. That was a, uh, on the whole practical effect as well. Yeah, very well done. I really like that scene. And I like the... The science of completely changing someone's blood so that you would think the body was someone else, I find strange. Yeah, I didn't really buy that. 
Yeah, but again, medical backgrounds. Yes. Um, what else do I like? I really like, and I, it's a different take, and it's not one that you see in the comics particularly. I liked Alfred's story of that while Bruce was away travelling, he would go once a year on holiday and hope to see Bruce happy. Because I, and this is a controversial opinion again, but we knew that Christopher Nolan wasn't hugely interested in a second one and was probably less interested in the third one. Not saying he didn't want to do them, but he's not someone that generally does sequels. So for him to have done two is quite a big thing. So going into this film, it was almost a dead cert that he would never do a fourth one. It would take heaven and earth moving to get him to do another one. So I liked that he looked at the character from a standpoint of he wouldn't be Batman for 50 million years with a million different villains in this huge rogues gallery like the comic books. He kept that idea of realism from the start to the end. So there was a necessity to what Bruce wanted to do. He wanted to fix the city, which he started out doing in Begins. That whole idea of Batman is what gave birth to the Joker, which is what you see in the second one. And then in the third one, this huge thing happens and he essentially feels that he has to give his life to save the city and that's what he does. And I like that they closed the chapter and closed off this Batman. So rather than him being a vigilante for 50 million years and there being a Justice League and all this other stuff, it contained in its own universe and it stuck to its ethos right to the end. And although it's not something that you would likely ever see in the comic books, I think it works in the context of Christopher Nolan's world. Yeah, no, definitely. And you got to see more elements of him being almost broken in ways as well, going to see the Doctor... With all these horrible x-rays. Yeah. Walking with a stick. Yeah. Until he gets the magic knee brace. God knows how that works, but anyway, it did. <laughs> Turn off the medical brain for a minute. Right. Turn it off. I can't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, no, it's interesting to see He's that. very human, and he I like that human. he's very human, and I appreciate that. And when... What was that? What's the flying machine called? It's just called the bat, isn't it? The bat when he's not uh, bat wing, is it? No, that's his actual plane. This is called the bat, isn't it? When he's flying the bat out with the nuclear bomb and it explodes and you think for a minute he's dead, I remember falling off the edge of my seat thinking they've just killed Batman. They've just killed Batman. But then you go, Alfred goes on his little yearly trip with his newspaper and his little shot of something. His drink. His drink. Well, it's yeah. a small drink, isn't it? Yeah. It's not um, a shot. It's a bit classier than that. Well, you know, he's had a hard life. He's having like a nice amaretto, or you know, a, a liqueur. That's what I've meant. It's, it's not a little, it's not a short of body. <laughs> not a sambuca. No. Uh, and now they are sitting there. And she's wearing uh, Martha Wayne's pearls as well in that scene, if I remember rightly. How do you feel about that ending? And it was, like I said, like the rest, it just fits in the context of this world and I appreciate it. Because he's my favourite character, as we know. I grew up reading him, he's the first one that I remember watching, he's the first one I remember reading. He'll always be my go-to, absolutely my favourite character. And... In that world, that's probably the only time I'll ever get to see him have a happy ending, and it be a real happy ending. I don't know, for me, particularly at that time, how I felt about the character, it was really nice to see that there was a chance he could have a happy ending. Yeah. And I would I... never expect it in the comic book. I don't expect it in the comic books. Like Bruce and Selina's wedding in the comics this year, that never happened. You just, it doesn't, the possibility of a happy ending doesn't exist for most iterations of Batman but for this one it was a chance it could happen and they did it and it pissed a whole load of people off seeing that happen but actually I appreciated seeing a different version of what could happen to him in the future hmm. what about you what do you think of it yeah I mean it was alright and then I don't know it was okay it was different 
I'll give them that. It fits in with the three films. It ties it off nicely in a nice little bow and he does get a happy ending. And then you get that... But do you weird... feel like it was too easy then? And I, I kind of. It's that whole sort of... It almost felt a little bit rushed. We're like, oh, we died. We didn't really die. He's living happily ever after. We're seeing that. And then, oh, look, Joseph Gordon-Levitt Joseph Gordon is middle name's Robin. That fit really well, didn't it? Okay, well, that's that's a little... That's a bolt-on. I was, I was referring to just what happens to Bruce. But yeah, if you want, if you want to go there, there were... Again, there were so many ways where people thought that character was going to go. Is he, well, in fact, people still don't know where that character was going to go. If you were to extend that world on, did he become Batman? Did he become Robin? What was he? Did well, he become Nightwing? <laughs> he found the Batcave. He found all the stuff. Who knows? I know, it's this, the, the thing that people debate is, did Bruce hand him the mantle of Batman? Or did he handle him the tools to become his own hero? In which case, he could be anyone. Could be someone we've never heard of before. If you were to go and look in that world now, who would he be? As far as everyone is concerned, Batman is dead. They made a statue of Batman. He blew up. Would he be Batman? We don't know. We may never know. My interpretation of it. I never thought he would be Robin. I thought that was just a nod. Because for the whole time that Christopher Nolan was Batman, from the minute he was announced, people were saying to him in any way they possibly could, When's Robin going to be in it? Who's going to be Robin? We're going to see Robin. Will you do Robin? Are you going to do Robin? And they didn't do it in Batman Begins. So in The Dark Knight, are you going to do Robin? Who's going to be Robin? Are we going to have Robin this time around? Then The Dark Knight Rises. Now are you going to do Robin? Are we going to get Robin this time? Come on, Robin. Anything? Yeah? No? I think he just felt pressured into doing something, and that's what he did. Which is kind of a F you in a way, and saying, well, you all wanted a Robin, so there he is. But also saying, I know that Robin is an integral part of Batman, so here's Robin. Yeah, fair enough. I'll give him that. I always just presume that he then used the tools that were under Wayne Manor to become his own hero of some kind. I don't know who that is. I just presumed he would then forge his own destiny. I suppose it's left up to us, really. Yeah. Or like an Inception moment. Is it going to stop spinning? Oh, that's funny. Who is that? Oh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Funny. Trademark of the director. See where I went there? See where I went there? Scoring this one is not my favourite of the three, but it's still very good. This was hands on his own this time. I think he did a little bit of work with Junkie XL. There's at least a remix on there from Junkie, who then worked with him on Versus Superman. It's a bit more bombastic, the music in this one, to try and fit the idea of Bane. You could get all that chanting, though. I quite like some of that chanting. You know, they did that live when we saw Hands. Oh, yeah. What, what did they chant again? Klein, but in a different language. Yeah. I can't remember what it is. I want to say Mbasa, but that's the city, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do it. I could, but I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah, don't do it, don't do it. Let's touch on Catwoman, or not Catwoman for a minute. Um, what do you think of her? I don't like Anne Hathaway. This is another controversial opinion, because I know people love her. I don't like Anne Hathaway, but I like her in this film. Yeah, I don't mind her. I don't have any strong feelings towards her either way. I don't mind her. I don't have any feelings towards her either way. I mean, I thought she was an okay character. She's no Michelle Pfeiffer. She's not, but then do you really think that Michelle Pfeiffer is a comic book Catwoman? No. <laughs> so I, the, it, that's, that's the difficulty, is Michelle Pfeiffer is iconic from the costume right through the whole characterisation. But at the same time, she's not a Catwoman. If you saw Batman Returns for the first time today and you'd never read a comic book and you thought, God, I love that character, and you went and picked up a Catwoman comic book, that wouldn't be the character that you would read. No, but she's much more quotable than Anne Hathaway. <laughs> True. Uh, I just, I, 
I, I think there is something in Christopher Nolan's approach to Catwoman which I like. They just didn't spend enough time on her or with her to make her a fully developed character. Well, again, because there's so many different new characters in this film anyway, so it's kind of hard to give everybody the time to shine, really. Ben Mendelsohn's in this film as well, isn't he? Who you'll know from Rogue One and... Uh, Basically, he's the go-to villain in most films these days. He is. He's Daggett. And that was something that really disappointed me, actually, about this film, when I heard that he was a character called Daggett, because I thought that was going to be a nod to Batman the Animated Series, and he would be Roland Daggett, who quite famously poisoned Catwoman in an episode, and was a bit of a bit part in that. But they never really fleshed that out too much, either. I think... And talking about it kind of reinforces it. But there's a, this is probably the one of the, this trilogy that had the most comic book connections. Yeah, as, but they never really develop it any further than that, do they? No, but when you think about Begins, they don't do any massive storylines. It's an, They use ideas. The Dark Knight is very much its own entity, almost completely. And then this one, you, as you said, you've got a little bit of Nightfall, you've got a little bit of No Man's Land... You've got a few other characters like Dagger. There's ideas from the comics that this is this seems the most inspired by comic books. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that one. Yeah, but as you say, it doesn't develop them all. All those ideas are huge. I mean, final thoughts on this one from you? It's an all right film. It's not my favorite. I can, you know, it's not. It's probably the one I watched the least. Yeah, but it's still, it's still like an overall good end to the trilogy. Everybody finishes where you would hope them. It puts a nice finish to the whole thing. Oh yeah, it closes the loop perfectly. It might not be the most rewarding, but in this world, it closes off. It just shuts down perfectly. It ends the whole thing in a way that means that would. This is this. This is this period of Batman. This is what it is. This is how it started. This is the middle. This is at the end. What are your final thoughts? It's rough around the edges, but it has a lot of things about it that I really like. So it's one that I enjoy to rewatch without thinking too much into it. Yeah, that's a good summary. So we have come to the end, really. So my final question to you, out of the seven films, mm-hmm. put them oh. in order, oh. starting from the bottom. Oh, my God, okay. You didn't give me any time to prepare for this. No, go. Uh, so bottom and Robin... Batman and Robin. Yep. Is seventh. Sixth. Uh, oh, Lord. Um, probably The Dark Knight Rises, actually. Fifth would be... Uh, this is really tough. Because fifth and fourth, I would almost say are equal. So my fifth and fourth would be Forever and The Dark Knight. But depending on my mood, they would flip. Okay. And your top three? So my top three would be Batman Begins in third, uh, Batman 89 in second, and Batman Returns at the top. Very good. Very good. Okay, well, go on then. From yours, from bottom to top. So bottom would be Batman and Robin. Yep. Closely followed by Rises. Yep. And then followed by... So what's that? Six, seven, so five and four, so that would have to be begins in fifth. Oh. Forever fourth. Oh, okay. Third would have to then be 
You've got 89 returns and Dark Knight left. Yeah, so third would then be Dark Knight. Okay. And then 89 and then returns. Oh, so not too different for me. Well, in fact, I'm going to switch. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Nobody said you could switch. Well, I'll, I'll answer the question so I can switch. You asked the question. I asked the question. So I'm going to switch Forever and Dark Knight. So Forever then becomes three. Oh, right, okay. So my top three would then be Returns, 89 or Forever. So the, so the classics went out very much between the two of us. Although, to be fair, Begins is my third, but very much 89. Tim Burton wins out, which makes sense because we're both huge Tim Burton fans. All right, then. So which of the four Batmans is your favourite? You've got Keaton, Kilmer, Clooney, Bale. Keaton. I agree. Keaton would be my favourite. Bale would be second. Kilmer in third and Clooney in fourth. Clooney's always going to be in fourth, by the <laughs> But not a bad Bruce Wayne. No, he's not a bad Bruce Wayne. Just a awful film. We asked you at home who your favourite Batman was, so I'm just going to read out a few of your responses. So, I'm going to guess this is Nicola of We Have a Hulk Pod, who says, Christian Bale was definitely the Batman that hooked me into the character movie-wise. Absolutely loved Adam West in the TV shows too. He was just so much fun. Good can't, absolutely can't argue with that. Uh, Adam West is just unparalleled as Batman on TV because there's never actually been another Batman on TV until we see somebody in the suit in the last episode of Gotham. Spoilers. So, uh, Claire, who is at Gothamite Claire, says, Michael Keaton, Batman Returns just edges it slightly in my favourite Batman film. We both agree with you here on that one, Claire. That is both our favourite Batman films. The Nerd Bunker, at Nerd Bunker, said Bale. Very popular choice. Paul Hill, who is at PJHill81, said Bale's Batman films were great, but I will always have a soft spot for Tim Burton's Batman films, so make mine Keaton. Glad that you agree with us. And Max Byrne, at Max Byrne, says Adam West. Now you see, that's why we should have spoken about Adam West's Batman movie, because he there are a lot of people out there who would tell you he is their favourite. Well, we did. We mentioned the nuns and the shark spray. Yes, I actually replied to that tweet with a gif of uh, the bomb and the nuns. <laughs> you have to. Then we've got uh, Natalie, who is at char-a-cha-cha, if I hope I read that right, uh, who said Christian Bale was amazing. Tim Coates, at Coates Tim, said hashtag Adam West slash Batman, and he was the first coloured Batman film, which is true, because they were black and white serials, which came before that. When I was kind of figuring out exactly how we were going to divide up all the different types of Batman for this, I did wonder where the serials fit, but I don't think you've ever seen them. The old black and white ones? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Have you seen a whole series? I've like? not seen a whole series, but I've seen the odd one or two. I thought that you hadn't. That's something that we need to sit you down and educate you on. Uh, so thanks to all of you guys for letting us know. Uh, if you're listening to this and you want to let us know who your favourites are, then please do, because we will read them. You can find us on Twitter, at GetYourComicCon, or you can send a message directly to me. I am at Neil Vag. And I am at BoyWonder89. The sidekick. Always the sidekick. Anything you want to say just to wrap this up? Um, no, not really. Just, you know, I love these songs so much. And it's been nice to chat about them and share it with you. And thank you Thanks. for joining in. <laughs> oh, you don't know I mean me. You mean the audience at home. Well, them. Well, we always chat about things with you. But it's nice <laughs> to have other people <laughs> listen to our dribble. <laughs> Cool, okay, well, I have nothing else to say as well. It's just, it's fun to reminisce about these movies, even though we watch nearly all of them at least two or three times a year. Uh, in a some month, cases, really. months. Yeah. Um, Let's be realistic here. That about wraps it up for our chat on the golden age of Batman. 
So for our next chat, we're going to be talking about the modern era of live-action Batman movies. So that's anything starring Ben Affleck and beyond. So we will touch on Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice, the theatrical and much better director's cut. We'll also chat about Justice League and uh, Suicide Squad, because he was in it. He was. I will allow that. We'll also then move to the future and have a conversation about Matt Reeves' upcoming The Batman, which has now been confirmed to start filming later this year. Very exciting. Yeah, we'll have to have a think about our hopes and aspirations for this newest version of The Dark Knight on film. But for now, thank you very much for listening to us chat about the whole world of classic Batman movies. And we will see you next time. Thanks very much. See you later. Bye. Bye.